0: As was said, we're returning to our study in the book of Romans this morning. That's the first step in our returning to normalcy. As we think of Romans, we are in Romans chapter 15. And it can be very difficult to establish proper priorities. It requires a great deal of discernment. To know how to best utilize one's time and resources. It is still harder to maintain those priorities over a long period of time due to some significant pressures. A number of years ago, a little work was published entitled Tyranny of the Urgent. It focused upon coping with unexpected interruptions. The premise of the work was that all too often, That which seems to require immediate attention is often not the most important or significant thing for us to do at that particular time. And so the tyranny of the urgent works against the maintaining of our priorities. Well, in reality, there are a number of influences that can affect our priorities. There is the pressure of conflicting values or competing priorities. For example, due to this coronavirus, staying at home has become a high priority in our country. There is now a great debate that is taking place as to when those stay-at-home orders should end and we should, quote, open up, unquote, our country. The reality is there are a number of competing values. Of course, there is the health of individuals to be concerned with. Then there's the financial impact that staying at home has upon uh, businesses and individuals and the overall effect that it has upon the entire economy. Then there's the emotional stress that people are being placed under uh, as they are not able to be about their normal interactions. Some are concerned about the constitutional freedoms and is the government overstepping its bounds in some of the restrictions that it's placing upon Americans. All these different issues enter into the process of making the decision as to when our country is going to open up. The point is conflicting competing values. Then there's the pressure of other people's priorities upon us. What may be important to us is not the most important thing to other individuals, so they'd question our priorities. Or perhaps what is the most important thing to them is not the most important thing to us, and they wonder why it isn't. In the ministry, it can be particularly difficult to maintain one's priority. A lot of self-discipline is involved. Discernment is necessary, as there are many worthwhile and important things that we could be doing with our limited time and resources. So how to decide how to choose from among them. You deal with so many people who all have their own opinions, ideas, desires, and convictions as to what the church should be doing. How do you reconcile all of those different ideas? In today's message, we are introduced to the Priorities of the Apostle Paul. Paul has written a letter to the Romans, but yet had not actually visited the city of Rome or the church that was present there. Paul's having not come to Rome was a source of real contention in the church at Rome. Paul had repeatedly made plans to come, but so far had yet not done so. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, in the very beginning of the book, Paul writes and says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Thus far have been prevented. So why hasn't Paul come to the Romans? What has prevented him He doesn't tell us in that immediate text. Paul doesn't disclose why he had not yet come to them. And so the Romans were attributing some very negative motivations for Paul's having not yet come. Perhaps he did not care about them, perhaps he was shirking from his duty, perhaps he was ashamed of the gospel. All of these negative ideas were being represented. And so this morning, we look at the key verse of the passages we are in. That's Romans chapter 15, verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Fourteen chapters later, he finally discloses the reason as to why he had not yet come to the city of Rome and in particular the church at Rome. Verse 22. This is the reason that I've been so often hindered from coming to you. The theme of our message this morning is the reasons that Paul had not yet come to the Romans. The reasons Paul had not yet come to the Romans. Now in the text Paul refers to a reason singular. That is because Paul is looking at the situation as a complete picture. The whole picture that Paul presents is the reason that he has not yet come to the Romans. But we are going to look at the picture as a jigsaw puzzle. And we're going to view the individual pieces that comprise the entire picture. Therefore, we're going to look at the reasons that come together to form the ultimate reason as to why Paul had not yet come to the Romans. I'd like to say from the outset that this is more than just a historical exercise in seeking to understand what took place in a church approximately 2,000 years ago. There is great relevance for us, there are very practical applications with regarding to the establishment and maintaining of priorities. Uh, we learn from this disclosure this morning about the kind of process that we need to go through to make proper priorities and to maintain those priorities. So we begin looking at the first reason that Paul had not yet come to the Romans was because they were not in need of a personal visit from Paul. The first reason that Paul had not yet come to the Romans was because they were not in need of a personal visit from Paul. It certainly would have been nice for Paul to have visited the church at Rome, but it wasn't absolutely necessary. Why wasn't it? Well, Paul is convinced that the Romans would be just fine spiritually without a personal visit from him. Verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. So Paul is satisfied or convinced about the healthy spiritual condition of the church at Rome. Paul is convinced that the Romans are living godly lives and do not need to stand and do not stand in need of a specific correction you look at verse 14, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, now these words, that you yourselves are full of goodness. There is no glaring issue in the church at Rome that Paul had addressed, such as the church at Corinth. This was a church that was in spiritual good health. And secondly, Paul is convinced that the Romans did not need his personal instruction Because there were adequate number of spiritually mature individuals in the Roman church that were able to teach others also. At the end of verse 14 of Romans 15, it states, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So Paul's immediate instruction wasn't absolutely necessary there were those individuals that were present in the church at Rome that were quite capable of instructing their fellow believers in the Word of God. So as we think about the first application this morning, is that we understand that need is a very important element to keep in mind when weighing priorities. There are a lot of good things that, we could do that aren't necessarily essential. That there are a lot of worthwhile, valuable even, ways in which we can use our time and resources but perhaps it's not the most important or necessary thing for us to do. However, it's also important to keep in mind that need is not the only issue to take into consideration when establishing priorities. For there are always needs around us. Uh, There always are ways in which we could be involved in very good programs that have needs. So it's not just need, but need is one factor. It's important to keep in mind, however, that Paul did view it as prudent to write to them It was not as though Paul had no relationship to the Roman church at all. If you look at verse 15, it writes, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So although Paul had not made a personal visit, he did send them a letter, a quite lengthy letter, as a matter of fact. And he points out that he was not timid to write to the Romans about things that they already understood. Notice verse 15. says, I have written to you very boldly, boldly, without temerity or reservation. Why does he say that? Because he firmly believed and was committed to what he was writing. He could write boldly because the things that he is conveying to them are true convictions. They are things of which he is certain of himself. The second reason that he says he writes boldly unto them is because he is confident of their ability to comprehend and to embrace the things about which he is writing. Romans has some of the most difficult doctrinal passages to understand in the scriptures but the romans were not babes in christ the romans were spiritually mature they were able to teach others he says and so paul is able to write to them with some very heavy thoughts that he knows that they're going to be able to comprehend and they are going to be able to together uh, understand the truth that underlies those very important doctrines. That's important for us to keep in mind when we're communicating God's truth. There are some people that are not at a mature enough level to handle certain doctrines or to handle some weighty discussions. But Paul writes very boldly, very clearly, because of the spiritual maturity of the Romans. And then thirdly, he writes with boldness because he believes that because they are spiritually healthy, that they're going to receive the things that he writes, that they're going to welcome what he has to say. They're going to be reasonable. They're going to listen. And they are going to be benefited from what Paul writes. He believes it will be well received. And then Paul's writing to the Romans and as opposed to visiting them was in keeping with the ministry and his calling. If you look at Romans 15, verse 15 and 16, it writes, But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, So this writing to them was indeed a part of his service to God. He was responsible for maintaining good relationships between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there is a significant portion of the book of Romans that addresses those particular issues. So Paul is not negligent in his fulfilling his ministry at all. This letter is an important element of his fulfilling his ministry. But the point is, he didn't need to visit them personally in order to accomplish or fulfill his ministry. The second reason that Paul did not come to the Romans is because he is convinced that he has made the correct ministry choices. Paul is proud of the work that he has done. In verse 17, it says in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Pride often has a negative connotation in the scriptures. When Paul is saying that he is proud of the work that he has done, it is in the sense of the opposite of being ashamed or embarrassed. Paul is making no apology for his having not come to the church at Rome. It was not a mistake or a bad decision that he had not come. It was not a failure on his part. It wasn't something that he had to correct or make right. He is asserting that he has made the right choices. He had a good reason for the reason that he had not uh, come to the church at Rome notice verse 17 in Christ Jesus then I have reason I have grounds I have basis to be proud of the work that I have done Paul is not proud in the sense that he reco- in, in the sense that he is taking credit for the work that's been accomplished rather Uh, he recognizes that anything he has accomplished has been by God's grace and power. Notice verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What was accomplished was accomplished by Christ's power, not his own. So Paul is not proud of the effect of his ministry Paul is proud of the decisions that he made in respect of his ministry. And he is thankful that he's being used of God. Paul is convinced that he has done what God has called him to do. Notice verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem And all the way around to Illyricum, now these words, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul was doing the work that God had called him to do. In the very beginning of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And now these words, set apart for the gospel of God. The word set apart actually is a a term for boundaries. He's talking about the fact that there are boundaries to his ministry. There is that which God wants him to do. And his primary ministry is a proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Paul is first and foremost an evangelist, a church planter of which we are going to say much more about in just a moment. But the point is that he is focusing on the ministry that God has called him to do and will not be dissuaded from that ministry. Some of you in the congregation would know the name Bill Maul. Bill Mall was a missionary in the Bible Fellowship Church. Bill Mall was a good friend of mine, and uh, I always appreciated our brother. But Bill was an interesting guy. And one of the things that made him interesting was that uh, he had this burr under his saddle. He thought that it was God's will for me to be teaching in a seminary in Africa. And every time that he saw me, and I mean that literally every time because, you know, he'd be overseas uh, ministering, and when he'd come back on furlough, and uh, when we would see each other, he'd say, Cal, it's time for you to be going to Africa. We need you to be teaching and the Word of God in seminaries, training young men uh, in the Word of God in Africa. He was convinced that that's where I needed to be. The Romans were convinced that Paul needed to be in Rome. Paul is saying, that's not what God's will is for me. I know what God has called me to do. I know what God's ministry is for me. And I know that what God has called me to do is to pastor. To pastor. And not to be teaching in a seminary. It's sometimes difficult. Pressures are put upon us uh, to change our priorities. The third reason that Paul had not come to the Romans is because Paul has a ministry strategy that he faithfully followed. He kept his priority in view. Paul acted in a consistent manner with his calling. If you look at verse 20, it begins with the word, and thus, and thus, therefore, Based on this calling that I have, it has influenced the decisions that I have made. Uh, I have sought to act in a consistent manner with the calling that I just referred to. So now Paul lays out his ministry strategy. How he is going to fulfill the call that God has placed upon his life. The call to be separated unto the gospel of God. Paul is going to make decisions based on that knowledge. First, Paul was going to be focusing upon the gospel. He is going to be preaching the gospel. Notice Romans 15, verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition my goal, my desire, my aim, to preach the gospel. That's what Paul saw as his primary responsibility. I'm going to be preaching the gospel. Secondly, Paul was going to go to places where the gospel was not known. Verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, and now these words, not where Christ has already been named. He doesn't want to be going to places where the gospel is already present, where people have already heard the great news of salvation. His ambition was to share the gospel with people who had not yet heard the gospel. And thirdly, Paul was going to plant churches as opposed to going to churches that were already planted, they're already in existence as a result of someone else's work or ministry, such as the church at Rome. Notice verse 20. Uh, <clears throat> and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, and now this, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul is not going to be going to churches in which that gospel already exists. He is going to be planting new churches. Uh, That is the work that God has called him to do. Paul's strategy was good, for it was in keeping with the priority that he saw elsewhere in the scriptures. Verse 21, But as it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is a quotation of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. So Paul is saying that this choice that I made is consistent with what the scriptures teach should be our priority. Which teaches us some important things. First, that our ministry model should always be in keeping with the word of God. We should always be making decisions that are consistent with what the Word of God teaches. That does not mean that it was wrong for everyone uh, to go to established churches. When Paul speaks of his priority to go to uh, churches that, uh, excuse me, to plant churches, as opposed to going to existing churches, he is not saying that's wrong for everybody to do. Apollos had the ministry of going to establish churches. And to some extent, so did Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege, and Timothy accompanied Paul in planting a number of churches. But Timothy was the primary individual that Paul sent back to the churches that he had planted uh, to minister to those churches. Now, Paul did visit some of the churches that he had planted, but they were churches that he had planted, as opposed to churches that were planted by someone else. Uh, The church at Rome, uh, historically, uh, we learn from church history that Peter had a very important role in planting the church at Rome. The church was already there. It was already healthy. It was already in existence. So Paul said, That's not in keeping with my ministry strategy. That's not high in my priority. It's important to keep in mind that Paul was not just following a fad or being arbitrary or belligerent. Uh, Paul was seeking to follow the leading of God in his own life and a leading that was consistent with the scriptures. I think it's important for us to realize when we are setting ministry priorities that we do not rely upon secular models for success, which is becoming extremely popular today. Today, so much of church leadership and activity is based upon a secular corporate business model. Uh, The church is being... uh, formed to look more like a giant corporation. And church leaders are looking more like CEOs than they are pastors as they are overseeing and directing these large ministries. All too often, outreach is based more on a Madison Avenue advertising model than based on what we see in the word of God. So much of a desire to see the church grow is based on research models of trying to ascertain what it is that people want and how can we go about meeting those perceived needs? How can we give people what they want so they're gonna come? As opposed to asking the question, what is it that people really need? What is it that they really need to hear? What is it that God has said to us to take to people? We need to start with the scriptures. We need to end with the scriptures. And we need to be consistent entirely in our ministry priorities with what the scriptures teach. Paul was acting in keeping with his calling and the scriptures. And we can learn a great deal from that truth. And then, Paul acted in keeping with his ministry strategy that he established. Uh, He not only made a strategy, but he followed it. Notice verse 22. This is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Again, it's a holistic view. Paul refers to all this as but one reason. For Paul had his life focused upon his call and the scriptures and fulfilling the work that God had given him to do. He followed his strategy. It's important to realize in this text that following a strategy can be challenging, difficult. Uh, In fact, it can be emotionally challenged. For it was not as though Paul was indifferent and uncaring about the Romans. If you look at verse 23, he writes, but now since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and listen to these words, and since I have longed for many years to come to you. You can feel the emotional pathos. In Paul's heart. At that, at that time. He said he longed. He ached. He desired. To come to the Romans. It wasn't that he was lacking. Interest or concern that. They needed to persuade him. Of the value or importance of his coming. He wanted To come to them. And not only did he want to come to them. But he wanted to come to them for a long time. Many years. So this has been going on. Year after year. After year. And yet. He still. Had not come. Again this teaches us some important lessons. First. We can have a heart for other works. Emotionally, we may desire to fulfill a whole host of ministry opportunities. It can be hard to say no to them. We have an emotional pull. Uh, It's not easy. When Bill Moll was telling me of the importance of the work in Africa, and he was a friend, and I was disappointing him by not doing what he wanted me to do. Uh, It's not easy. To disappoint others. There are emotional pulls. Uh, In my own life, I have a great affinity with the work of Bible translation. I really think that uh, it should be a high priority to try to get the word of God in the language of other individuals. I, I think that's great. I have a real heart for that particular work but I don't believe that it's a work that I myself should be engaged in. I also have a great interest in and committedness to the training of pastors. And I am able to do that in some extent as the pastor of a church and seeking to raise up other individuals that are going to go on in the ministry and go on in the pastorate. But uh, there is an element that uh, I'm very interested in, and that is the formal academic training. Uh, the instruction of those that are going to be pastors. And so over the years, I've been involved with Lancaster Bible College, and much more significantly uh, with what was formerly known as Biblical Theological Seminary. In fact, uh, I chaired the Board of Biblical for a period of time. I chaired the academic affairs committee at Biblical. I even taught on the faculty as adjunct faculty for a period of time at Biblical, all while pastoring here full time. But as my involvement at Biblical grew, it got to be too much. I was faced with a decision for It was impacting, I think, my ministry here at the church. And so I was going to have to decide was I going to be engaged in training the pastors and be involved in the seminary and give myself to that, or was I going to give myself to the pastorate? For me, it was a no brainer. I had an interest, I had a desire, I had a commitment to training pastors in an academic setting. But I knew what God had called me to do was to pastor. And I knew what my primary responsibility was, and that was to pastor. And so when these two things came into conflict, I chose to continue to pastor and to be uh, involved in the ministry here as opposed to the ministry at Biblical. Certainly not wrong for other people to be teaching and be involved in academic training. It just wasn't what God wanted me to do. So we find that such decisions have to be reviewed on a regular basis. Paul writes in Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often intended to come to you. Think about that. Paul had made plans repeatedly to come to Rome. Now, I don't know how extensive those plans were, I don't know how widely he shared those plans. We're going to look at a plan that he has uh, next week for his intended visit to Rome. That we're going to look at in some detail, but in Romans 1:13 he says, "I I made many plans, uh, probably purchased tickets ahead of time uh, to get a ship." However, he had to change those plans, and he had to change them repeatedly because they conflicted with his overall strategy, and goal, and purpose, and need. So it's not wrong for us to sit down and repeatedly evaluate the choices we have made in our life, the activities that we are engaged in, the ministries that we are uh, involved in, and going back and saying to ourselves, what is the primary purpose for which God has saved me? What is the work that he has given me to do And am I fulfilling that work? Are the decisions that I'm making consistent with what God would have me to do as revealed in the scriptures and revealed in his own personal call upon our lives? So. Negatively considered. What had not hindered Paul from coming? What were not the reasons that Paul had not yet come to the Romans? First, it was not the evil one that had delayed his coming. It wasn't that Satan was overthrowing Paul's plans. It wasn't that the evil one was winning and getting victory, in keeping Paul and the Romans apart. Satan had nothing to do with this. Secondly, it was not wishy-washiness on Paul's part. It isn't that he just couldn't make up his mind. It wasn't that he was a procrastinator. It wasn't that he had a lack of concern. And it certainly was not that he w- had a lack of commitment to the Lord, or to the Lord's work. Those were not the reasons. Positively stated, what was Paul's reason for not coming? It was a desire to fulfill his calling. It was a desire to see people saved. It was a desire to be faithful to what God had given him to do. It was a desire to minister where he was most needed. And the key word there is he. He was most needed. And it was a desire to be effectual. Conclusion. What are the takeaways that we can make from this passage? Well, first, you simply can't do everything. We are limited in our resources and our time. We are limited as individuals, And we are even limited as a church. There are many, many good things that churches can do. And there are many things that other churches are doing that we're not. And there are some things that we're doing that some other churches are not. The point is, what has God given us to do? What has God equipped and enabled us to do? What are the priorities that we should have? will we be able to say at the end of our lives that we have finished the work that God has given us to do? Jesus could. Even before the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished. In the upper room in John chapter 17, uh, two days before the crucifixion, Jesus prayed and he said, I have glorified you on earth, having completed the work that you have given me to do. Jesus fulfilled the work that God the Father had given to him. Now, we get that. That makes good sense. But listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul's about ready to die. He writes to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. He says, now the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's about ready to die. And as he reflects upon his life, Paul says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He had finished. He had done what God had called him to do. Because he made some difficult, sometimes difficult, unpopular decisions, but he finished the work. Will we at the end of our lives be able to say we have finished the work that God has given us to do? I think it's going to be very difficult for us to say that if we don't establish priorities. If, if we don't establish a strategy. If we don't reflect upon asking ourselves, first of all, what is it that God wants me to do? And then develop a strategy that is in keeping with the Word of God to accomplish what God has called you, what God has called me to do. So as young people, as you are making career choices, as you're deciding what you're going to do with the rest of your life, what's your work going to be? I would encourage you to begin with a question. What does God want me to do? How has God gifted me? How can I best serve his kingdom? Start with those questions. And the answers to those can be myriad. That could be to be involved in secular work or religious work. Maybe God doesn't want you in full-time ministry. Maybe God wants you to be doing something else and teaching Sunday school, or being an elder, or being a layperson, and so many valuable works. Or maybe God just wants you to be a witness uh, in your business and help others uh, through good works. Whatever it is, we need to be setting priorities. And we need to be asking, what does God want me to do? Not... What is it that I like to do? Not where will I make the most money? Not what will provide the greatest prestige? But what is it that God wants me to do? Having a sense of calling. Understanding the type of ministry. And then lastly, the location of that ministry. For again, there are so many decisions. Over the years, I had the opportunity where I could have gone to a lot of different churches. Some within the Bible Fellowship Church, some without. And I'd be contacted on a regular basis uh, to uh, candidate in other churches. But I had made a decision a long time ago. And that is that my ministry was going to be one of preaching and teaching that I wanted to teach the whole council of God, that I wanted to explain the entirety of the scriptures, which would take a long time. And so I decided early on that I was going to stay in the same church as long as they wanted me to stay. I've been here for 37 years. I have reviewed the decision a number of times. as opportunities have arisen. But looking at those opportunities, looking at what God has called me to do, how God has gifted me, and what it is that I can do to best serve the kingdom, I've remained here. Why did Paul wait to the end of the book of Romans to explain why he hadn't come? He raises the issue in chapter 1. I've been hindered, he said. From coming to you. But he doesn't explain why. Until you get to chapter 15. Why? I believe that those intervening chapters. Those 14 chapters. Were necessary. To understand. To ultimately understand. Paul's heart and mind. Paul reveals the importance of the gospel. Paul reveals the significance of a good relationship. Between Jew and Gentile. Paul talks about the significance of using one's gifts. Paul talks about the importance of dedicating your life, presenting your body as a living sacrifice towards God. All of those 14 chapters were necessary to prepare the hearts and minds of the Romans that when he would explain himself, they would say, yes, we get it. Yes, we understand. Yes, we agree. Yes, we support you. And uh, I'm going to talk more about that Next week, as Paul shares his future plans with the Romans, the point is: many times people don't get us; they don't understand why we do what we do. People don't understand what makes us tick. You know, as a pastor, one of the things I run into is uh, people who don't know the Lord. When I witness to them, will say things like, "Well, you need to say that. You have to say that. You're a pastor." And that's not why I say what I do. I don't say what I do because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor so that I can do and say what I do. I'm motivated out of a concern that people believe and submit to the authority of the Word of God. People won't always understand. But the issue is not whether people understand us or not. The issue is, are we being faithful or not? Are we following our heart's conviction? Are we obeying the call of God? And are we living in consistency, in a consistent manner, to the word of God? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray for your people this morning and ask that uh, you would help each of us in establishing our priorities. Uh, Lord, there are so many things that can take our time. So many worthwhile efforts. Uh, So many ministries that are placed before us. Uh, So many needs for our money, our time, our resources. So, Lord, uh, may we practice the spiritual discipline of first examining our own call. What is it that you have saved us to do? What gifts have you given to us? What is our primary ability? And then, Lord, how do you want us to apply that gift? In what particular kind of ministry? And where? In what locale? May you make that abundantly clear to us. And then may you give us the tenacity to fulfill that ministry. To see it to a conclusion. To bring it to its completion. To finish the work that you have given us to do. That we might rejoice at the end of our lives looking back and say that we have finished our course. We have kept the faith. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.